Welcome to Through the Corporate Glass, a podcast that explores career choices. Welcome to another episode of Through the Corporate Glass. I'm your host Ashwini. In this episode, we're going to spotlight a startup which is very interesting and innovative. It's called Atomic Work. We'll chat with Vijay Rayapati, the co-founder and CEO at Atomic Work. Vijay is a serial entrepreneur. His previous startup, Minjar, was a cloud management solution acquired by Nutanix. And before Minjar, he was a CTO at Kuliza and also has like close to two decades of experience overall. I've worked with Vijay at Nutanix and know him to be a very inspiring leader. Thank you so much, Vijay, for making time to be on our podcast. Hey, thank you, Ashwini. Great to be here. Awesome. So can we start with an elevator pitch for Atomic Work? Okay, great. This feels like a VC pitch session. <laughs> we started Atomic Work to essentially help companies manage their internal operations across traditional functions like HR, IT, finance, procurement, and also emerging functions like sales ops. Uh, the reason behind starting this company was our past experience among our founding team. Both my experience at Nutanix and my co-founder's experience at Schwartz and some of our founding team, which worked with companies that had great growth. Can you tell us a bit of the journey in terms of what inspired Atomic Work? We have started startups earlier and we have seen the startups grow to become big companies. This growth kind of brings complexity. In order to manage that complexity, what companies will do is they set up uh, functional departments to support different employee functions, whether it's IT, HR, finance, payroll, benefits, procurement, partners, vendors, and sales ops, revenue ops, and whatnot, right? In that process, what happens is companies end up buying a lot of different software and then they end up spending a lot of time trying to stitch this software to work together. So what we basically felt was what brings growth to companies, creates complexity in order to manage that complexity, companies do process management and that process management in turn actually slows down companies' growth, right? So essentially we thought, hey, there should be a short circuit way of doing this, you know, instead of people dealing with it's it, it dealing with like a lot of tools because from an employee perspective, they have to go to different places to find info, get things done. From a business perspective, you have to buy too many things and stitch too many things together to essentially run your company. Right. So that is what led us to say, hey, we need to basically simplify this internal work, essentially the name Atomic Work. Nice. Yeah, I love the name and uh, the problem really resonates in terms of the complexity of finding information, getting things done. Yeah. Not really integral to your work as such, but yeah, spend a lot of time on it. I I noticed, I think on the website, it also says that you, you have an AI assistant to simplify all of this process. So could you tell us about that? And also, have you ever seen challenges applying this across different domains of companies? So Essentially, if you look at this problem, right, there is a information retrieval or a discovery problem because the information is across like different enterprise systems. Two is doing workflow automation, right? 
So where we apply AI in atomic work uh, is essentially this information retrieval, providing an answer to a question from an employee perspective. Think of from the service teams that are there in the company to essentially enable these employees to go deliver customer work. From their perspective, it is essentially automating the mundane operations, right? What we do is connect to all the enterprise information that is there within the business and bring that information together to this conversational engine that we can handle like 80, 90% of the things, right? Yes. Now, it is possible, while we like to believe that AI can do everything, the reality is it cannot do everything. <laughs> and so a human in the loop is needed, right? Essentially, where our uh, request management solution and workflow management solution comes into place, uh, where people can basically say, okay, I see that the assistant is not able to handle this, but this is the answer for this, right? So that is how we kind of stitch. So we basically believe that... You know, you can essentially let people do meaningful work either as an employee in a functional team within the company. If you can eliminate a lot of this uh, mundane information retrieval related queries. Okay. So if you look at just like customer support, if you look at internal support, 80% of the things are the things that are mostly noun, right? But that is what kind of creates the volume. So that is what we want to kind of automate using our AI assistant, which we call Atom. Got it. Nice. What's the composition of your team right now, Vijay? Just in terms of like engineering, product, marketing support. Is there some one area that the company yeah. is focused on? So I think we are in the first year of our journey, right? So obviously we are more engineering heavy, but uh, if you look at the team that is like little less than 30 people, more than half of it is engineering, right? Got it. Uh, then we have a couple of people in product, a uh, few people in marketing and two people in support and literally two people in go-to-market, right? So this is how... The team is right now composed. I already feel it's a fairly big team for early stage company. But, uh, you know, sometimes when you start companies after going through journeys, you also basically believe that some things that you want to do right from day one. Right. Hence where we are. Got it. So the first year is definitely the one of the most exciting, I'm sure. So what's the biggest challenge that you've faced so far? I think the biggest challenge is generally startups have super high ambition, right? Mm -hmm. And just managing that ambition, right? Because if you look at the kind of a problem that we are going after, we can go solve it like from multiple personas and from multiple functional support aspects. Right. Uh, so initially we are basically thinking maybe, hey, should we go and take a very generalized view and build a solution. I think after a couple of months, we basically figured out, okay, that's probably not a great way. I think let's actually go take a very specific part of this problem initially, tackle it, and then eventually we'll get to the rest of it. Got it. Yeah. And what kind of talent do you actually consider ideal? I know this might actually vary depending on like different stages in the startup. So at yeah. this point, what would you consider ideal? So I think generally, right, uh, startups, if you look at most startups in the first few years of their journey, what I call is like, in a stage where you're, ide you're ideating, you're iterating, and then you are 
either refining or discarding, right? So, which essentially means you're better off with like, you know, generalists instead of specialists, because if you have uh, generalists, I mean, like these are the people who might not be like super specialized in one specific area. So they kind of help you both with the velocity and the breadth coverage. But as companies grow, kind of become big, you need specialization, right? Because uh, that is where you need support for scale and support for growth. But at this point, we generally, whenever we hire, we see, do these people have the traits of a generalist, right? Rather than just saying, I'm really great at writing copy, but okay, that's good. That's awesome. But that might not be great from the startup perspective, right? Because people have to provide breadth coverage while bringing some depth because you just can't afford too many people to cover the breadth building a company in the initial stages. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that's a fantastic point. I noticed on this on your website where you basically say we're in this for the long haul and we want to make sure your career grows with the company, not in spite of it. <laughs> and <laughs> as someone who's worked with you at Nutanix, I, I always admired that you always invest a lot in people and their career growth. But I think in an early stage startup, this is doubly challenging, I would say. So how do you approach this in Atomic Work? Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, you're right. It's not as easy as we basically say. I think there are like uh, probably three things that founders can essentially do. So we all know that building company is about people than products because the products keep changing, strategy will keep changing, even your market might change, right? Because there are like a lot of external factors that will impact how your product strategy will evolve, right? So over the last 12 months, like every company suddenly has become like AI company, right? So AI kind of moved from a luxury to commodity now, which can significantly impact uh, most people who are in early stage because yeah, it makes sense for you to go build on this big secular wave. But at the same time, you also want to bring together people who are ready to carry forward on this mini missions. Because if you think of company as like a building a big, going on a big mission, Every year or every six months, every quarter as a company and team, you're going after one specific mini kind of a mission. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the challenge with this is let's take, if you take a span of a year, there could be like uh, a two quarters where one mini mission is like a lot more important than other mission where if people are not aligned with this long haul mindset, then somebody might feel like, Hey, I'm not doing this great work. While somebody else is doing that, I want to do that work. I don't want to do what I'm doing, right? Yeah. So so I think a big part of this, Ashwini, is just attracting people who have that mindset and who also enjoy doing invisible work. So a lot of us, if you look at as individuals, as leaders, you know, go after a lot of visible work, but most of work a company does either internally or externally is an invisible work. Now, if people, first you have to get people who at least have that value system or belief system of saying they're a long-term folks. And so it is very easy to grow their careers. And also this creating this mindset, if we build a great company, I think all of us will have great careers. And uh, if we don't build, it doesn't matter 
So at least one of the conversations then generally I like to have with people is like, what do you want to do beyond like, you know, atomic work kind of a thing? Even if you are at like whatever a company A, B, before you come to atomic work, you know, let's say, what do you want? What do you like doing, right? Outside work and what do you like doing at work? And what do you want to do after a few years of this work and see how I can help them find opportunities that align towards their long-term goal as well, right? So because as a company, we have a long-term goal. Right. As individuals also, we have a long-term goal. So one of the best things that leaders can do is to help people uh, align towards their you know, long-term goal, right? Not just the company's long-term goal, but the individual's long-term goal. And it's great if both of them align. In some cases, both of them align extremely well. In some cases, the both of them might not align so well. Then still give them some opportunities, right? And I mean, these are like very basic 101 things I generally try to practice to give people that opportunity so that they feel there is a learning path for them so that they can grow as they're helping build this company grow, right? But the compressed growth can only happen both for individuals and leaders if they really do something remarkable, right? So the first step is to like focus on doing something remarkable. Two is give them opportunities that align towards their long-term personal growth. Three is, you know, just have open conversation. And uh, if you are not able to provide what people want, and if they feel consistently that they are not growing, I think it's okay to have that conversation and see how you can tune and adjust. But it's pretty hard problem. There is no one silver bullet to solve it. I think at least from a startup perspective, it makes sense to encourage people to think long-term and also discourage people from coming on board by telling them, you know, the reality of building companies. Uh, I generally do this anti-interview once we do all the interviews after hiring. After we make an offer, I know I generally talk to people and mostly discourage them from joining us, <laughs> okay, <laughs> by telling that, just because we are successful in the past doesn't mean we will be successful now. Two, things might work, things might not work. Three, if you're coming here with a just a couple of years kind of a time span, then financially, this may not be a great outcome for you. Four, if you need a lot of cash, then probably startup is not a great place to be in. So, so I think those are the things that I generally talk to people uh, to filter. I think most of the time people kind of appreciate that openness. Uh, sometimes people make the call that is right from their perspective, which is okay. Maybe this is not I want to do, right? Because when we hire people generally as a leaders uh, or even as the people on the other side, we always sell them what is good, right? Or what is great. We never actually tell them reality. I genuinely believe that the more you tell people reality, the faster they get productive once they're on board. Yeah, that, that's actually a brilliant strategy. And uh, yeah, I'm sure everybody really appreciates the honesty. <laughs> I, I know you already spoke about some of the challenges an employee will face in a startup. I mean, at least materially and then some directionally as well. Uh, of course, employees kind of sign up for a certain level of risk and change in direction and quick turnaround times and the pressure and so on. But is there anything in particular you think an employee should be prepared for when they sign up for um, an early stage startup? Uh, I think the big thing that they should sign up 
for just getting comfortable being extremely uncomfortable because if you don't have that kind of mindset then it is going to get like really really hard right because priorities will change very very quickly because you know there is a customer ask or there is a deal that you really want to win or there is you know change in direction as we spoke about how ai kind of become like went from being a luxury item for most startups to becoming commodity for every startup so so i think at least you know as individuals i think one of the thing even i tell myself you know very often uh, that it's okay to deal with with a lot of things that we think are okay why are we reprioritizing so often right because look in startups the velocity is what matters you know uh, velocity and momentum essentially these two things is what matters you know i mean the usage trials pocs early customers they bring momentum right. i think as a team you essentially provide velocity to support that momentum now if you don't have momentum there is no motivation so it's very hard to keep the velocity <laughs> right but if you have a momentum if you don't support it with velocity then you know you are essentially not capitalizing on the opportunity right i think from a from a early team members perspective i think having some of these conversations you know frequently would be super useful and that's them also deal with some of these challenges right generally i already think i think most of us we don't play extreme sports most of us right maybe some of us do yeah. but most of us don't play extreme sport but the moment you sign up for a startup you are signing up for an extreme sport <laughs> so 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 i think just like there is a lot of excitement you know adrenaline rush you know there are risks right because it's an extreme sport okay yeah that's a brilliant analogy actually <laughs> and in terms of hard skills i i know you said right now i guess it's engineering driven or majority engineering so in the context of engineering and design roles what kind of hard skills do you look for yeah so i think my views on this have evolved quite a bit ashwini like maybe 15 years ago 10 years ago even 5 years ago to now i think uh, lot of times we basically have this belief that hire for attitude and aptitude could be taught and we can essentially encourage people to improve their aptitude right it kind of makes sense because startups also like mostly hire generalists and stuff but i think what last i would say decade or so my views kind of evolved instead of thinking not in terms of just attitude and aptitude you know double click on their talent versus their taste right so 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 talent is what i still consider as uh, a soft skill okay even though a lot of people might uh, consider this as a hard skill oh they're a great engineer they can actually build things really fast or they're really good with ai or they're really good with whatever platform engineering and things like that right. because these things are you know change i mean like because because our industry right probably changes faster than fashion industry okay there is a framework every day every day there is some new library new framework you know new design pattern new ux pattern a growth hack which essentially means people have to have a taste uh, because they know what is what does great look like what does good look like right if they have talent but if they don't have taste 
they might not be able to do great work. Okay. So these days I always supply even from an, you know, taste is something that, you know, generally people don't never used to apply for engineering hires. Maybe they applied for design hires in some cases, but these days, you know, I basically believe that you have to look at uh, both from a talent perspective and taste perspective when you, when you are looking at their hard skills. So I generally ask people, you know, about, you know, their favorite, you know, tools and then just probe them about why and what made them, you know, switch loyalty or like, you know, why they believe that's like a really good product or a great product or extremely useful product or a service just to understand, you know, what's their view on taste, right? Uh, I think it's very hard. I think I believe, you know, taste is very intrinsic. It's very hard to teach, but talent is something that could be taught. You know, there is a fine line. People can basically say, hey, both of them are like very intertwined. But in my view, whether it's engineering, whether it's marketing, whether it is support, I think you really have to look not just the ability to do the work, but the ability to do great work. I think the difference between good work to great work is, do they have taste? You know, if they have taste, they mostly do good to great work. If they don't have taste, mostly they do average to good work. Wow, that's actually very, very interesting. I noticed that Atomic Work actually has a podcast. And I love the idea where you, you bring on very accomplished people from different industries and they express a problem and... Many times that problem is tied to the problem statement that atomic work is actually solving for. So I think it makes the point very beautifully. And I, I, I don't think very many startups focus on this approach at this stage. So I'm curious how you decided to do this and invest time on it. Yeah, thank you for this. So, I mean, Sai, who leads our marketing, I mean, is like really, really good you know, SaaS marketeers and he spent time at Freshworks and then Wingify, then went work with one of the VC before he came on board. If you look at building a company today, right? I think for a large part, most of the founders, right? Think about, okay, product. Then good founders think about distribution. Right. But we also basically need to think quite a bit about, you know, the brand, of the company that's essentially building this product to get to the distribution, right? So the great way to build a brand, you know, I mean, brand is not about what's our uh, logo, what's our vision, what's our mission, what's our uh, style guide, visual style guides look like, right? So brand is a lot about philosophy. And the great way to actually, you know, rally around that philosophy is also to bring people who have perspectives around you know, the problem area, they need not talk anything about solution because end of the day, most companies, you know, whether it's your company or my company, we are providing a solution to a problem. I think bringing people together to share different perspectives, philosophies of the problem and or at least a domain of the problem would be a great way to build audience, right, for yourself. That was basically the thesis for creating this Atomic Conversations podcast. And initially we were like thinking, should we do it, not do it? Why build yet another podcast? 
and having gone through all those dilemmas you know i'm really happy the way it turned out and super fortunate that a lot of really good people and very accomplished folks were willing to come on a podcast that is fairly new you know i mean this is like a less than a year old podcast uh, actually we are a less than a year old so i think uh, on 9th september will in couple of weeks will turn one year as a company wow that is amazing i'll definitely link the uh, podcast in our show notes are you hiring at atomic work and any thoughts that uh, you'd like to share with potential applicants yeah as founders you're always dealing with this dilemma of hiring great people and then also thinking oh my god like there are too many people having said that you know hiring great people is is long and it's super hard to time it so we can't say hey we'll open a rec or put a job posting and great people will show up and just come our way it might happen but you also have to work towards it so one of the approaches that we basically take is talk to people whom we won't even bring like much later so we don't have a head of finance and legal i want to bring somebody on board we spoke to him last year we spoke to him now we are thinking of bringing him on board next year right so sometimes these conversations are like very long i mean same thing happened uh, with us you know in engineering and in design the joke is if you want to join atomic work you probably interview 6 months uh, ahead or so right it will take like that long you know to just uh, bring people because one of the thing that i'm also increasingly being aware of is you have to give them a meaningful charter so that you know these people can come and really play their a game now having said that currently we are hiring for two specific roles one is an account executive this is a india based role with exposure to us and a sales engineer again india based role with exposure to us i think these are the two roles that we've been hiring for last uh, two plus three plus months we haven't made the hires but yeah if anybody is listening to this podcast and really passionate about the problem and then look at the company and then please feel free to reach out to me either linkedin or through any of the contacts on my social networks awesome perfect i will also link that in um, our show notes uh, any closing thoughts uh, for budding entrepreneurs vijay uh okay that's a hard one i think there is like a lot of information already out there so i don't have anything that's new but two things i generally say i mean entrepreneurship is like a world of contrasts right you know i think what we think uh is great from outside is mostly not great what we probably think is not great from outside is probably one of those good things of being an entrepreneur right uh, but having said that i think patience and perseverance ashwini i would basically say two most important traits uh for budding entrepreneurs be patient uh and uh, patience is a passive skill so you have ability to stay put uh perseverance i think of it like an active skill uh where uh, you continue to work so i think you need both of them so the ability to stay put and wait or have the delayed gratification for results for success for progress and perseverance which is like this relentless pursuit of doing work to make progress so you can essentially get to the next milestone of your journey so i generally value these two skills i would encourage people to develop 
these two things. I think if you have patience and perseverance, you will be successful. I think this is what I have at least seen in my limited network of people, people who succeed versus people who think you can't, you no longer can progress is just that last bit of patience and perseverance to stay put and continue to do the work. I mean, those are essentially my thoughts. Uh, I think it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. I think a lot of things are compressed. I think AI is creating so many opportunities in so many areas uh, for people to go build great apps and use cases and products and platforms. Awesome. I think patience and perseverance is an amazing note to end the podcast on. So thank you so much, Vijay. This was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Ashwini. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed our episode, do subscribe to the podcast and check out our show notes, which provide more information on the topics discussed during the episode. Please follow us on LinkedIn at Through the Corporate Glass and on Twitter at Corporate Glass and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our website through the corporate glass.com. 